If you open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, I'd appreciate that. You can find the message outline back there. Uh, the bulletin is right there at the ministry counter, right out those center doors. If you can go out there and pick one, if you don't have one, I'll help you to fo follow through with the message. Uh, the holidays are coming up, aren't they? It's, it's October 23rd. Oh, come on. October 23rd. Two months is Christmas. Let's get all excited. It's a time for you and I to come and we lift up Christ during those times, right? It's a time for us to get excited about Jesus. But when we meet on those days, we usually think of home, right? We think being at home and all that. And if you think about that, that the idea, the concept of home, though, is prominent in the Bible. We see that all through the Bible and really in our culture that we're, there's a drawing to be at home. When you think of the movie of The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy wants to get where? Home to where? Kansas, right? When you think of Frodo, where does he want to get to? Back to the Shire he wants to get back to. You think of E.T., what's he want to do? He wants to phone home. So we understand that in our culture. We understand that the concept of home, right? We all want to be at home. And God created a home for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Amen? And in our series, Beginnings, we've been going through the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. We've been looking at the home that God created. And now... Adam and Eve are going to be losing their home. They're going to be losing that home that God created for them. And think about that for a moment. I've never had that happen to me, and I, I hope you never had that happen to you, or you never will, but it certainly does happen. I was in a church many years ago, and there was a family where their house was ravaged by a home, and not only did they lose their physical home, but they lost all their physical possessions, but also the emotional ties to the many things, the memories. The memories inside of the home, the mementos, all those things. The tragedy of losing at home is a very tough thing to deal with. But that's exactly what God has given us in this picture of losing their home. And Adam and Eve, who were living in the perfect home, was perfect. God created it. Because of their sin, now they're going to lose their home. And at the same time that Adam and Eve are losing their home, you know what God is doing? Picture this. This is what God is doing. God is going to show them a way back home is what God's going to do. How do you make your way back home? That's what this passage is, this message is all about this morning. Really, that's the message of the gospel. Not that Adam and Eve lost their home, but that God provided a way back home. That's the message of the gospel, right? And the same is true with us today. We come into this world and spiritually separated from God. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And God's agenda in our life, his goal and his purpose in our life is to work in my life and your life and bring us back home into an everlasting relationship with him. That's God's goal and his purpose, right? He wants us to have that everlasting relationship. When we look at this passage this morning, don't just think about losing the home, the Adam and Eve lost their home, but realize in that very moment that they're losing their home, God is providing the way back home. That's what God does. So there's three things that God wanted Adam and Eve to understand about finding their way back home and three results of the fall. And the first one, if you have your outlines, that we are sinners and our sin is exposed. That we are sinners and our sin is exposed. In the story of Adam and Eve, uh, after they had sinned, they had disobeyed God and now they're exposed. Their sin is exposed, is what the Bible tells us. There's no hiding it. They can't hide from it. They can't, they disobeyed God and they can't pretend it didn't happen or anything like that. They had, they had went against God's will. They went against what God had said now. And God called it right out and he says, no, this is sin. You know what God wants us to do when, when we do that? He to agree with what he kind of shows us in our life that we've done wrong. He wants to agree what he exposes in our life that's sin, right? First John 1, 9, you've heard me be 
quoting that all the time, and hopefully if you went to your Bibles, if I open up your Bible, that you would have that verse highlighted, maybe circled, or maybe even memorized 1 John 1, because I quote it all the time. It's a wonderful promise to you and I, where it says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That word confess means to agree with, to agree with. And when God says, Adam and Eve, you messed up, you, you sinned, you did wrong, you disobeyed me, you know what God wanted them to come and say? I agree with you. I'm guilty. I can't hide it. I can't pretend it didn't happen. I disobeyed. There's no hiding it. But some, that's what we do many times, don't we? We hide it. We try to excuse it. That's what we do. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, and God came to meet with them in the cool of the day in the garden, the Bible says Adam and Eve hid themselves among the trees of the garden. Just imagine this. Here comes God. Let's hide like this. He can't see us. Can you see how ridiculous that is? God knows God's going to expose it no matter what they do. And God exposes their selfishness. When they sinned, what did they do? Adam said it was Eve, the woman you put here with me. Eve said it wasn't me. It was a, the serpent deceived me. And everyone is out for their own personal protection, right? That's what they were looking for. And their selfishness got exposed. And they had to recognize that. They, they were exposed. Their motives were exposed. Up until now, uh, creation, everything had been perfect. God created and said it was good. It was all for God's glory, creation was. And Adam and Eve decided, let's use creation for our own benefit first. And God had to expose their motives in that. Their condition was exposed. God says, now you're going to be lost in your sins and your trespasses, and you're, un you're going to undergo physical death, but also now you're going to be spiritually dead for me. In other words, you're not going to no longer enjoy the prospects of eternal life with me. God had to expose that. They had to come to grips with that. That is the first step on the road to home, is to understand your condition, right? You've got to understand your condition. And it's to understand that I'm not there, that I'm not home, I, I'm sinner, and I've been exposed. And before I can be law found, I need to know that I'm lost, right? Before I can enter the light, I have to know that I'm in darkness. Before I can be healed, I got to know that I'm sick, right? And so here in this passage, Adam and Eve come to the understanding. They say, we blew it. We're exposed that we've sinned, and they come to understand it. That's the first step. You got to understand that you're lost. You got to understand that I've, I'm exposed, that I've sinned. I've sinned and disobeyed God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, let's read those first two verses there. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Two thoughts. The first, that little statement, Adam named his wife Eve. The name Eve means, which, which means mother of all living, was more than just given a name. It was really a confession of faith that Adam had there. See, because up until that time, after they sinned, God said, you're going to die. You're going to die. In the midst of, of that judgment, God also said in Genesis 3.15, from the offspring of the woman will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. That's telling us the eventual birth of Jesus, talking about the eventual birth of Jesus. And what Adam is saying here, he's, he's looking at these saying, he says, I believe that God can do that. I believe he can do what he says right there. That I believe that God can take the sentence of death and bring life from that sentence. And, and not just physically, but spiritually, I believe that is what he was saying. And think of what Adam had done in, in the previous chapter, in this chapter. He, he said, God said, you must not eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, you will surely die. Not you might not, might not die. You will surely die. And Adam Eve said to himself, well, maybe it would be 
won't die. Maybe it doesn't really mean we'll die. Maybe they didn't understand what death was. Maybe we'll give it a shot. So they didn't obey God, and they did their own thing, and they ate from the fruit. But now Adam is saying this in Genesis chapter 3.20. He's coming back and saying, I'm going to put my faith in the Word of God. I'm going to put my faith in what God had said. God said through Eve there would be physical life, and through Eve there would be a prospect of new spiritual life is what he was saying. He says, so now I'm going to believe about what God said, and I'm going to call my wife Eve. He says, the mother of all living is what he says. That's what I'm going to call her. It's confession of faith. It wasn't really just given a name. It was that confession of faith that God from death could bring forth life is what he was thinking. That we're not finished here, Eve. God told us that if we just got to listen to what God said. And that's what God was saying to them. It's not over. I'm still going to do something here. You know that hasn't changed in the Bible, though? It hasn't changed at all. It's the promise that's still there for you and I today. Where Jesus says in John 3, 36, he says, whoever believes in the Son, the Son meaning Jesus, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son, Jesus, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, it says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And it puts it very simple in those two passages. It's saying for you to really understand, how do I know if I'm going to heaven? How do I know if I have a relationship with God? It's very easy. It's very simple. If you have Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you have Jesus, have the Son, then you have eternal life. Then you have forgiveness of sins. Then you have hope and eternity to be with Jesus forever in heaven. If you have never done that, if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have the Son of God, then you don't have life. Then you don't have forgiveness of sins. Then you don't have a relationship with God. Then you don't have the hope and eternity with Jesus. So it all comes down with what did you do with Jesus? Do you have him or not? No one's straddling the fence. You either have Jesus or you don't, right? Amen? Please, follow me, right? Either have him or you don't. That's what it's saying there. So for Adam and Eve, when they were exposed and they understood how dead and lost they were, they realized there's only one who can give life, and it's God, the giver of life, right? It's only one. And today, there's only one that can give life, and that life is found through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? It's only found through Him. And God did something else, though, in verse 21 that we need to take note on. He took some of those animals, and He shed their blood. He killed them, is what the Bible says. And He took those skins and he provided a covering for Adam and Eve, for clothing for Adam and Eve, didn't he? He took those. And, and think of what happened before this, what they did before this. After Adam and Eve had sinned, they took and, and covered themselves with something they made out of what? What was it? Fig leaves, right? Fig leaves or some kind of vegetation. In an effort of their own hands. A work of their own hands is what they were doing. We're going to cover ourselves, and we're going to be all right, what they were saying. And now God comes, and he gives us this wonderful picture here. We don't want to miss it, where God is saying, we're not going to do that. What you did there, that is not going to work. That doesn't cover you. That doesn't do anything. The work of your own hands can cover what you did. So God said, I'm going to take some blood of some animals, and I'm going to take those skins, and I'm provide a covering for you, is what God did. And, and if something that you didn't make with your own hands, something that was the work of God is what God was showing them. That's a picture of what we have right there, what he's showing right there. And God really began to give that big picture for you and I, that I of how the shedding the blood, the shedding the blood of something, the death of someone innocent as a substitute provide you and I a way back home and a way of salvation for us. He kind of gives us that picture there. The shedding of innocent blood, for the shedding of someone else. 
of innocent blood shed for someone else. He's giving us that picture. In Genesis chapter 22, we get the picture again, where God tells Abraham, he says, I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to go up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him. And uh, Abraham takes his son. He's about to offer his son Isaac up there at the mountain. Think about that. Ready to take his son's life. And God says, no, 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 stop right there. Stop right there. He says, there is a ram in the thicket. I want you to take that ram and sacrifice him instead. Again, shedding of innocent blood is the substitute for someone else. We see the picture there. The entire Old Testament, the sacrificial system of taking animals and sacrificing them was a picture of shedding blood of an innocent animal for someone else. It was that picture to give us. And then one day, that in John chapter 1, where John the Baptist was speaking about Jesus, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we get the picture. We get the picture. An innocent person. Who's the innocent person? Jesus, now who gives his life and sheds his blood for the sins of the whole world is what he's doing. So again, we have the shedding of innocent blood for someone else as, as a substitute for someone else. The shedding of Jesus' innocent blood as a substitute for you and me is what God did there on the cross for us. Once Adam and Eve knew they were exposed, and God, God was there right there ready to say, he says, I, I want to make, I'm going to make this situation right. God was going to make it right. Could Adam and Eve make that situation right? No. Let me hear it. Could Adam and Eve make that situation right? No, no. Be confident. Be confident. No, he couldn't. There's only one who can make it right. God had to make that situation right. It was bigger than them. So you, you're losing your home. You're losing your relationship with me. But I have a way to restore it, is what God is saying. I've got a way to restore it. You can't do this. You can't cover yourselves with fig leaves. That will work. We learned that about Adam and Eve, that they had to come to a place, and this is important for us to understand, of recognizing and admitting that we are exposed, that we've sinned, and we're exposed, our sin is exposed, and that we can hide it. We can't pretend it didn't happen. We couldn't pretend it didn't happen, and that they could not solve the problem all by themselves. They needed help to solve the problem. They couldn't solve the problem in their own efforts. They need to understand that. Second, they had to rely on the provision that God gave them, right? Their provision wasn't enough. They had to rely on God's provision through the shedding of blood of those animals and the covering of those skins that God gave them to cover them. They had to rely on the provision that God was going to give them. Their provision wouldn't do anything. God says, no, I've got a provision that will only last. And one day, ultimately, God giving of his son, Jesus, so we might have the covering of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? So Jesus died on the cross so you and I might be covered in his righteousness and may be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we have, the righteousness of Jesus today by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The shedding of innocent blood of, of an innocent person as a substitute for you and I. And so today, if you have that relationship with Jesus, it begins for you and I to say, say, I know that I have a need that I'm exposed. We all have to say that, that I've sinned. We all have to come to the realization that I've sinned. And I can't deal with this sin on my own. I can't fix the problem. And I have to need someone else to fix it. I need someone else to get me back home. I can't find my way back home all by myself, but someone else needs to help me find my way back home. And God did that through who? Jesus, confident. Who did he do it through? Jesus, right. This is the time where you can say, Jesus, and it's, it's, the answer's right there right? So we did it through Jesus, and we find our way back home through him. The second thing that Adam and Eve have to learn, and we need to know, 
that we find here. And not only were they exposed, the second result of the fall that we find here, we are confused about right and wrong. That we are confused about right and wrong. Let's read, begin in the verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. That's a real interesting verse that it says that, that Adam and Eve knows good and evil. What does that mean? What does that mean that they understand now? They know good and evil. Does it mean a quantity of knowledge about all different things in the world, that they have all this knowledge now, that they come to realization of this? No, that's not what it means. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the really meaning. They have now chosen to, de- to decide for themselves between right and wrong. They have now chosen to decide for themselves between good and evil, what it's saying there. They've chosen to do that. Because up until this time, God was telling them, this is good, this is evil, this is right, this is wrong. God was telling them. They were following God, and everything was working good. But, ba- but in their disobedience of eating from that tree, basically they're saying, God, thanks for your advice, but we're going to do it our own. We're going to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong now. We don't need your help anymore. We're going to decide that for ourselves is what they were saying. And that philosophy is still in the world today, right? That everybody's going around and wants to decide for themselves what is right and wrong and everything. Well, when Adam and Eve did that, it created all kinds of confusion in their life. Confusion in relationships, confusion in lifestyle, confusion in every area of life. And it carries down today. Why do people have such a hard time to determine between right and wrong? Why is that? That if you ask somebody, is this right? Well, I don't know. I think it's all right. What do you think? I don't think it's right. You have everybody's all confused because they're saying what's right and wrong. And everybody's kind of saying, we live in a day of humanism where man thinks they have the answer to all of man's problems and questions. Remember the difference between humanism, humanism, man has the answer to all of man's problems and questions. And theism is God has the answer to all of man's problems and questions, right? But we live in a time where it's humanism. So I have an answer to all my problems and my questions. So what I think is right is right for me. What I think is wrong is wrong for me. And what you think is right may not be right for me. What you think is wrong may not be wrong for me. So what you think is right is right. What you think is right, what you think is right. And it's all different. And there's no standard of right and wrong. And when you have no standard of right and wrong, that's humanism. When you have no standard, it creates confusion. Because nobody knows what's right and wrong. It's who you talk to. And our world has gotten to the point where they've turned that upside down. That we look at things that's obviously that is wrong. And they say, oh no, that's right. It's all right to do that. And we say, no, this is right. And they say, oh no, that's wrong. If you notice that it's turned upside down, I'm not going to give you an example, but this turned upside down today. So it's really hard to understand what is right and wrong. It's a lot of these gray areas, and we're trying to determine what is right and wrong, and it's hard to determine that many times. And so we come to the point, unless we come to the place, say, on my own, God, I'm confused about what is right and wrong, and now I'm going to let God decide for me what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. Because on our own, it's very easy to compromise out there what's right and wrong. And it's very easy to listen to someone else to tell me this is right and wrong, and it may not be right. So I'm going to allow God to tell me what is right and wrong. I'm going to follow his guidelines of what he says is right, of what he says is wrong, what he says is evil, of what he said is good, right? As so we're going to follow his guidelines, not what the world is saying, not what the culture is saying. That's how God created Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the way it was working out. Working out beautifully. It worked. It was perfect until they decided they were going to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. It even says in the verse, God said that the God had the Trinity in verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Think about that. Uh, What does that mean? You have God the Father, 
You have God the Son. You have God the Holy Spirit who are fully equipped and capable of being able to say what is right from wrong. They don't need any help with that, right? And they're doing that, and everything's working all right. Then Adam and Eve says, hey, we, we want to be on that committee too. We want to determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. So we want to be on that committee and have some input in this. And maybe we can even be a member of that committee, right? That's what they were kind of thinking. We can have some input because we should have some, something to say about this. And God doesn't need a fourth member on the Trinity, does he? God doesn't need you and I, you and I, you're my input. Nor do we qualify to be there, right? If we think we're so confused. And they were so confused. And we have many people today that are so confused that they think that God and us are equal somehow, that I can tell God what is right and wrong, and God's got to listen to me. And they, they think this. But, but, so they became confused when they decided that I'm going to determine for myself what is right and wrong because I have enough knowledge to understand what that is. Let me illustrate it. How many of you like football? Probably not. Some of you, right? Some of you like football. Uh, how many of you know about football? Let me put it that way. You know about football. Come on, there's got to be more. Know about football. You may not like, you may hate it, but you know about football. You know, I, I like, love watching football. I love watching college football. I love watching NFL. And my wife loves it too, so we get along. We watched football together and we enjoy it. But one of the things when you watch football, you realize they have a helmet, right? How many of you say you know football players wear a helmet? Some of you don't know. <laughs> Some of you don't know. Well, they wear a helmet. And when I think of a helmet, I think of three things that pop inside of my mind when they wear a helmet. The first, it identifies the team you're on, doesn't it? If you ever watch football, and if you ever glance at it, it identifies the team. You see that helmet, you see the color of the helmet, you see the logo, they say, hey, they're on that team. And you see the color and the logo of the other helmet, hey, they're on that team. So it identifies the team they're on. The same as following Jesus or following Christ, you have to come to the place of identifying with him. We receive him as our Savior. And the Bible talks about we have this helmet of salvation. You've heard of that helmet, right? The helmet of salvation, and we have this helmet. And is there, in a time, is there a time and a place where you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? And you have the helmet of salvation. So this helmet that we're supposed to have, it's not a physical helmet, it's a spiritual helmet that we have. It identifies us that I'm in Christ, that I identify with Christ, that I'm on Jesus' team. I hope every one of you are on Jesus' team, amen? You're on Christ's team, and it identifies us. Just like the football helmet identifies what team they're on, our helmet of salvation identifies what team we're on. We're on the team of Jesus, right? So it helped, the helmet helps identifies. The second thing the helmet does, it protects. It protects. If you ever watch a game, some of you haven't watched a game, or if you ever went to a football game, you hear how they hit each other, and those pads collide, and I mean, they make all kinds of noise, those helmets colliding, and you hear a lot in football today about concussions. The Miami Dolphins quarterback, if you heard, had a concussion a few weeks back, and there's all kind of discussion about that. What are you going to do to protect the quarterback and everything else with the helmets and stuff? So the helmet pr provides protection for the, for the football player, and the same true of our salvation. The helmet provides protection. Salvation provides protection for you and I out there in the world. That I am in Christ. That I'm in Jesus, right? Amen? The last thing the helmet does that I want to share with you, though not every helmet, the helmet of the quarterback is a way to, is a design for communication. And maybe some of you know that, maybe some of you don't know that, that every quarterback's helmet has this little receiver or this little transmitter inside that the offensive coordinator, the coach on the sidelines, is able to communicate with the quarterback in the game between the plays. And he's able to tell him the next play or, hey, did you miss that route or whatever, whatever is there. So he's able to communicate with his quarterback, and that helmet helps them to do that, okay? 
that's what God gave to Adam and Eve. He, he says, I want to tell you the plays in life you're going to run. He says, I want you to follow me and listen to me. Here's the play. Now you go out and execute. You do this, you do what I'm telling you to do. But Adam and Eve came to the place and said, no, no, no. We want to decide for ourselves the plays we want to run. We want to decide what's best for our own life. We don't want to listen to you. We want to call an audible. So my question to you, so what about your life? Think about your life now. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you say that you identify with him, and you're joining the salvation that he has provided for you, are you listening to him what he says for you to do? Are you allowing him to call the plays in your life? Is he calling? Are you like Adam and Eve and say, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to call an audible and call my own place and see what happens. And it comes down to it. Who are you listening to? Yourself or you're listening to Jesus? He wants to call the plays in your life. And Adam and Eve decided to call their own, own plays, and it caused all kinds of confusion. And really, confusion for us today. It all started way back there in the garden, right? And it still affects us today. For you and I who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I hope everyone, say amen, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, amen, right? Hopefully everyone here knows, you've got a transmitter. You've got that receiver. What is the transmitter receiver? It's the Word of God. That every time we open this book, God is speaking to us, right? You say, boy, I wish God was right here speaking to me today. He does every time you open this book. God is talking. Problem is we don't listen. We also, if you know Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, right? He's right now, lives inside of you. And then you got godly counsel too that you go to. And God, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the plays that God is calling in our lives. And he helps us to understand, Holy Spirit does as we're reading the Word of God, gives us understanding and how to apply it to our lives. So we don't make wrong decisions. We have, God's given us everything that we need to, to communicate with us, to transmit to us, so we might receive it through his Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we still have confusion, we go kind of get godly counsel, have people talk with us, but it's walking with God day by day. We have everything we need. The receiver right here. Helmet of our salvation. We have everything we need. He's given us the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and godly counsel, right? Let's not call an audible in our life. Let's not choose to run our own plays. Let's say, I'm going to do what God says. And when we do that, be a lot less confusion and aggravation in our life. If we just choose to say, God, I'm going to do what you say. Sometimes it doesn't make sense what God tells us to do. And God doesn't say, I, I need you to make sense out of it. I need you just to obey right? That's what we need. Obedience to God is what we need. The third thing that we learn in this story, in order for Adam and Eve to get back, they had to understand the first was, what was it? That their, their sin was exposed. They were exposed. Second, they had to understand they were confused. They were confused about right and wrong. And the third result of the fall is, we are banished from the garden. We are banished. What the Bible said. It sounds harsh, but let's read it in verse 22, the second part of verse 22, verse 23 and 24 says, he must now not, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Sounds harsh that you've been banished. Don't it sound harsh? You've been banished. Just sounds really harsh. But in doing so, God was demonstrating his grace, his love, and his mercy to them. Because if Adam and Eve had remained in that garden, the Bible talks about there's another tree there. What was that tree? The tree of life was there. 
And in their lost state, if they had taken from that tree, they eaten from that tree, they would have been internally separated from God with no hope of redemption forever in that lost condition. And God didn't want that, so God banished them that from that physical garden. And God was actually extending his, his love, his grace, and mercy to them by doing that. Sounds harsh, but God says, I love you too much for this to happen to you. So he banished them from the garden. And God does that for us today. He has no desire for any of us to be banished forever, be eternally separated from God. God has no desire for any of us in this room or anybody in the world for us to be banished forever from him. He, he wants us to realize in our lost condition, he doesn't want us to, to feel at home in our sin. He says, that's not home. Sin is not home. That's not where you're supposed to be. And he wants us to show us how to way, a way to get back home. God wants us to understand there's a way back home. There's a way to be right with him. And he wants us to understand that in our own lives is what he does. In banishing Adam and Eve, they would never, ever enjoy the Garden of Eden again. They would never work that ground from which they came from. However, they would, through the redemption and the plan of salvation that God instituted, they would enjoy a home in the presence of God again. And that's what matters, right? Isn't that what matters? It's not about that physical home. It's that true home is when I'm united with God through God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's what matters, right? Say it again. What really matters is that I'm united with God through His Son, Jesus Christ that I have that eternal home. That's what matters, right? Amen? That's what matters in our life. That's what we really need in our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says this, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The Bible says that when we die, and if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, that we will be with Jesus forever and ever. That's what God wants for us. That's our home. He wants us to be with him. That's what he's designed for us. He created us to be with him and live with him forever and ever. And God wants us to have that. Jesus in John 14, the night before he was crucified, with his disciples in the upper room, he says this in John 14, verse 2 through 6. And you know the passage. Well, let me read it to you. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, and we're so thankful Thomas said this, that he asked the question that we would have all asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, and hopefully you all have it memorized, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen? We have that glorious statement that he said to us, that truth that's been ringing through the years, the generations, for a long, long time. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, they lost their home. They no longer could go in the Garden of Eden. They lost it. Because of our sin and our sinful nature, coming into, we come into the world without Christ, we don't have a home. And God is saying to us, I want to give you a home. I want to prepare a home for you. I want to give you a home. And I want you to come and live there with me. And that's what God is doing. God said, I've got this home for you. We lost our home. We lost our home. But God said, I'm going to find your way back home. And my question to you, have you found your way back home to him yet? Through Jesus. I hope you have. Hope you have. Think about that. Do you know your way back home? Have you found your way back home to God? And it's through Jesus Christ. That passage in John, 
it really has significance in the Jewish culture of that day that they would understand when a father had sons and his sons were ready to be married, uh, when they found their bride and they got married, they had the opportunity to choice that I can come back and bring my bride. And you might think today that that's not good, but this is what they really want to do. I could bring my bride back to my father's house. And the father then would build a, a, an addition. He would build another room on that house or what we might call an addition or, or uh, whatever, an addition, let's just say. He said, I'm going to build that. And you can live there with your wife and your family and they can grow there right beside the father's house. If you had another son, the same thing, he had an opportunity, says, Dad, I, I want to come back and live at home. So we'll build another wing or an addition. There are another room on the house so you can have your family there too. If he had many sons, suppose he had five sons, they would build all these additions, these wings on the house, and they would kind of form a courtyard where they could come in that courtyard and they could eat together and they could fellowship together. And what Jesus was saying in my father's house, there are many, many rooms. He's saying in my father's house, we can build on as much as we want. As much as we want, he says, we can build on. Whoever wants to come can live there with me. Whoever, I, I'm inviting you, if you'd like to come and live there, you can with me, is what he's saying. And furthermore, in the Jewish culture, that day when a man was getting married, he would go to the house of the bride and he would negotiate the terms of what it was going to cost for that bride. And they would negotiate what he was going to pay and all that kind of stuff. Jesus did that. What was the cost of Jesus' bride, you and I, all in Christ? The blood of Jesus. Jesus had to give his life, he had to sacrifice. That was the cost. Negotiation was, what is it going to cost me for my bride? Your very life. Your shed blood upon that cross. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But before they were married, they negotiated that price before they were married, and then they determined those things. The groom would say to his wife, he would pull her aside, he would say this to, to his future bride. He would say these words, and I want you to listen to him. He says, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back one day to get you so that you may be where I am. And that culture, that's what he would say to her. Exactly what Jesus was saying. So they would understand exactly what he was saying. Because the son would go back and he would start preparing and say, Dad, I'm going to get married. And the father would be all excited. He goes, let's start building an addition on the house. Let's start building that wing in the house because I want to go get my bride. And the father would say, okay, let's do this. But it was up to the father of the bride to decide when things were ready. It was up to him to decide. But you can imagine, the son wanted to get married and wanted to bring that bride home. He would say, Dad, let's work. Let's work way into the evening and finish this project because I want to go and get my bride to bring her home. And that's what Jesus is doing. That's what he, he's done. He comes to you and me, and he says, I want you to be my bride, and I want you to come and live with me forever. And I want you to think of it like this, that every time the gospel message goes out, it's a marriage proposal from Jesus that's inviting you, I want you to be my bride. It's my marriage proposal to you. I want you to come and live with me forever. I promise that I'll love you unconditionally, that I'll be faithful, that I'll provide for you, that you will reign with me. You will be co-heirs with me. And wherever I go, you will be with me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will be with me forever and ever. Every time the gospel message goes out, that's the promise. That's a marriage proposal by Jesus. I'm inviting you to be my bride, and I want to prepare a home for you, is what he's saying. Every time. And some people say, hey, I would love to be your bride, right? I know for men it sounds kind of awkward, but we're the bride of Christ if you know Christ is your Savior. And, and I would love to be your bride. Yes, I accept your invitation. But there's some that say, no, I don't want that. I'm waiting for something better. Can you imagine that? That's what you say when you, re when you reject Jesus. 
I'm waiting for somebody better to come propose to me. Is there anybody better than Jesus? You sure? Yeah, there's no one better than Jesus, right? So to reject that marriage proposal, it's like, you've got, what are you, you you're out of your mind? There's no one greater. He's inviting you to be a, the, part of the, the greatest family, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, God. He's part of you being part of that family. But that's what he's doing every time the gospel goes out. It's a marriage proposal from Jesus. I want you to be part of my bride. I want you to come live with me forever. I'm preparing a home for you, and I want you to come to be there with, with me forever. So God has established a way back home, right? And he did it for Adam and Eve, and he still does it for us today. And my question, have you found your way back home? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Can you say with confidence that if I would die today, that I would be in heaven? Can you say that honestly? I know for sure that I'll be in heaven. Because God wants us to know for sure. Because if you're married, you know for sure, right? I said yes. I said yes, right? And God wants you and I to know for sure that I have this relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus, that I accepted Jesus' invitation, yes. And one day I will be in heaven with Jesus, and he's preparing a room for me. Do you know that for sure, 100%? If, you're, if you say, I don't know, please understand. God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, all of your sins, past, present, and future. And he was buried and raised on the third day. And now God has provided the way for you to find your way back home, right? The way back home, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. No one gets to heaven. No one gets their sins forgiven except through me, Jesus. Jesus said that. The only way to have your sins forgiven, the only way back home is through the only way that God has provided is through Jesus Christ. Amen? And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, just come to him today and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for my sins. Today I accept him as my Savior. Do that today. If you have questions about that, you still don't know, please see me after the service. That's where you will spend eternity. That's what matters, right? Eternity. Well, the Bible goes on and says Jesus was exposed. He came to this earth and he went to the cross and he was naked in that cross. He was exposed for you and I. That the Bible says he became sin for us. He exposed himself to sin and the wrath of sin. The Bible says that Jesus came to die for our sins, to die for us. Where we might be confused about things of the world, Jesus was not confused why he was here. He did exactly what God the Father asked him to do. He went to the cross, and he died on the cross for our sins. Then the Bible says that Jesus was banished. He was banished. He was taken outside the city walls of Jerusalem, and there he was hung on a cross. They killed him outside the city of Jerusalem. And he was banished outside, and he suffered for us. For you and me, he suffered for us in order that we might find a way back home. In order that we might have our sins forgiven is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? It's the only way they're found is through Jesus. And Jesus did that for you and me and the whole world. He did that. What an amazing to find us a, a way back home. And if you don't know Jesus today, please, I plead with you, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today. He is the only way. I'm telling you the truth. He is the only way. It's not one of many ways. He says, I am the way, not a way, the way, the only way to God the Father, the only way to heaven, the only way to eternity with Jesus is through him. Put your faith and trust in Jesus.